Amen. Well, it's good to have you guys with us. Uh, thanks for your faithfulness in coming. Got a few less than we've had in the past, but uh, we'll just uh, let that pass without being too grumpy about it. Ha ha. But uh, let's turn, if you'll continue, to First uh, Peter uh, chapter 4. Uh, as I've been doing, as I've been doing these imperatives, I've been doing the commands first, uh, just simply because it's just easier in this uh, difficult outline book. And uh, we saw in Imperative 6 uh, that the Scripture commands us, as the Holy Spirit leads Peter, uh, tells us, tells us that uh, verse 19, First uh, Peter chapter 4, as we looked at this last week, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. And the way I broke that down, if you remember last week, in the Greek, the original says that uh, to a faithful creator, let them be committing their souls in doing in well doing. So we discussed uh, the fact that that uh, because God was our creator, he was the sovereign and he is faithful to him, his character and the immutability of his word. And he's reliable and we can trust him. And I'll use the Terry word, which I never use, but the fact that who he is and his character stimulates us. How's that word, Terry? Stimulates us to worship him. It uh, stimulates us to uh, uh, to understand that he's off, uh, authority over us. He's power over us. And we have an allegiance to him as a graced people. We talked about his faithfulness. We read from the Lamentations. And so we looked at the fact that he was our faithful creator, and we looked at the fact that it was in his providence that we suffer. And we looked at the purpose of the suffering. We reiterated it from James and from Romans, that it was developing character in us and perseverance in us, and it was developing hope in us. And we talked about that in great detail. Uh, and that we and that Christ himself as our representative and our substitute learned obedience through his suffering. And then we really focused on the phrase, commit your souls. And we talked about that means to continually entrust our wills, our desires, our pleasures, our thinking, our, uh, our ambitions. That's what our souls, soul is. And then just to commit to entrust it to him because we can trust him. And we use the phrase, one of the pictures that commit your souls uh, is, is, as Keith mentioned last week, you roll over your trust to him. But it's also uh, the analogy I use where we just keep on making the deposit. And I use the analogy of a bank, which is a poor analogy, that. but it's the best one I could come up with. But we continue making this external investment into future glories and as we and we understand that the investment is part of our inheritance and our inheritance uh, will not fade away it's reserved in heaven it's undefiled we talked about thieves don't break in and steal and we really talked about as we encapsulated this thought we talked about where our treasure is and we looked at the uh at the two verses in, in Matthew 13 about the parable of the pearl of great price and just the, the, the realization of how precious God's salvation is and, and how we should cherish it and prioritize it and put, seek first his kingdom. And, uh, we talked about that's what it meant to commit our souls. 
And, uh, and then we talked about the purposes of good works that they do not save us. And I had everyone shake their head to understand what I was saying. And I looked at the, the survey of, of Charles Barna and the falling away that we're seeing in the faith and that, uh, and, increasing reliance within the American people of good works and comparing themselves to others and thinking that plays a part of their salvation. It does not. It is just a evidence that we are saved. It has nothing to do with our salvation. And in fact, it doesn't earn anything, but it simply is the evidence. And we talked about that in great detail. And then we started with the doctrine. Remember in verse 8, and uh, if you look at with me at verse 8, uh, we did this in great detail. First Peter uh, 4, 8, uh, we said that the first component of this doctrine that, su- that uh, supports the command, enables the command, in verse 8, chapter one, uh, 4, verse First Peter, above all things have a fervent love for one another, for love covers a multitude of sins. Remember we said what that word fervent meant. It means to, and we use the analogy of a horse running. It really means to strain all your tendons. It means to, to stretch out and to fully, at full capacity, actively cultivate love. And it was a verb, of course. There's nothing passive about it. And we talked about, uh, uh, the, uh, the deepness of the love and the fervency of our love that we should cultivate for one or another. And, of course, we spoke that it has to occur after a personal relationship occurs. And we went back up to verse 4, 5, and 6 about personal repentance. If you don't have personal repentance, you can't have a godly relationship with your brother and sisters in Christ. And then I thought the most important thing that, that, that we saw in that verse was that love covers a multitude of sins. And we saw what it doesn't mean. You know me, I like to talk from the negative and teach that way. Uh, It doesn't mean we condone sin. It doesn't mean we hush it up. It doesn't mean uh, that uh, uh, it certainly doesn't mean have any relationship. uh, Just because we forgive our brother doesn't uh, put us in right standing with God. This is a horizontal relationship we're talking about, and we talked about the importance of a horizontal relationship with our brother, Uh, but what it does mean is that we uh, throw a veil over sin, and uh, and we use the analogy in uh, in Noah, with Noah and his family, remember in Genesis 9, after the flood, Noah built a vineyard, and he got drunk, and then he uncovered himself in his drunkenness, and then... uh, uh, Ham came in and gazed on his father's nakedness, but Shem and Japheth covered the sin, and they walked in backwards with a blanket. And that was a picture that that when you cover sin, you're not openly exposing it uh, within the brotherhood, but you are. You're not gossiping over it. You're not making a public spectacle with it, but you are. You are promoting peace and restoration and harmony in the sin, and you are doing it personally and, and uh, quietly. And we talked about Matthew 18. That sort of gives us where we are uh, in this study of, uh, of the doctrine behind the imperative. Now, if you turn with me to verse 9, uh, verse 9, another uh, uh, doctrine behind the imperative to keep committing our souls to him 
is hospitality. It says in verse 9, be hospitable to one another without grumbling. The word hospitable, we get the word hospital from it, of course. It literally means to care for strangers. Uh, And it expresses itself in offering food and shelter. In Peter's day, and uh, not so much today, they don't have a Motel 6 on every corner or Hilton or wherever. Uh, They cared for their missionaries in their homes. Uh, Most of the times, these missionaries, they would travel over precarious uh, mountainous areas where thieves could mug, i.e. the parable of the Good Samaritan. And Christians were encouraged to to take in their brothers, missionaries, or fellow believers, strangers to them, offer them in food and shelter to care for them and protect them. So that's really the analogy. Uh, it's not telling us that we should go on the corner and pick up a homeless guy and bring him to our house. That's not the analogy. Uh, we've got to watch over our family and make good choices, but it really means within the community of believers that we be that we open up our house to them. Uh, I like what one commentator said. Uh, it says an open house is a sign of an open heart. And it says it shows a loving, sacrificial, serving spirit. And this is from Hybert. Hebert, a guy that uh, Terry and Keith turned me on to, and he says a lack of hospitality is a sure sign of selfishness, lifelessness, and a loveless Christianity. So uh, this 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 com- this uh, doctrine that we're to be hospitable uh, shows our heart. It shows that we are a servant's heart, that we're humble, that we care for others more than ourselves. And it really is just a, a sign of what goes on in our heart. And it's the, it's, it's the effects of a gospel. And so we are to open up our homes to brothers in Christ, uh, to those who have need and, and not to shut up our bowels of compassion to them. And then uh, I love what it says without grumbling. And, 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 and Strach goes on to say, uh, Uh, One of the other commentators I uh, quoted from, uh, this is frank recognition that the practice of hospitality can be costly, burdensome, and maybe even irritating. So uh, we know that as as brothers and sisters, if we care for folks, uh, that uh, sometimes it makes our lives a little more difficult. Sometimes it makes our families, uh, you know, it just changes a little of the... uh, of the normality of life, but uh, we are called to do it without grumbling. And uh, if we grumble and if we uh, mutter in a low voice is what that literally means to mumble uh, in our hearts against the very act that we're trying to perform, it says it negates the value and destroys, destroys the uh, recipient's enjoyment. So if we show hospitality, we need to make sure we do it cheerfully and not grumbling, although it may cost us a bit. There is a cost of discipleship, and and uh, and and Brother Bonner's uh, uh, great book. If you've not read that, but uh, uh, we're to do it cheerfully. Uh, as Terry will get to in two or three weeks, it, it, it just really describes love without hypocrisy. It's loving uh, with the right motivation, out of a desire to please God and to love the brother, and it's not done. Uh, with a mask, you know, you do it, but you're complaining about it the whole time. So when, when Peter says be hospitable without grumbling, uh, that's what he means. And, and I just challenge me and I challenge you, uh, to entertain and to care for our brothers in Christ. Uh, 
uh, and to do it with a right heart and with a with not a mask on and to do it in love. So any comments about the first two uh, doctrinal statements? We're going to shift gears a bit here. Any comments about hospitality or uh, or maybe even uh, loving and covering a multitude of sin? You are live if you'd like to speak. John? Yes. That's a good way of teaching children servanthood also, is what you just said. Good. Absolutely. To do it in love with a, with a sincere heart. Absolutely. Thank you, Dwayne. Anybody else? Uh, so applicable to today, and uh, just pray that God would put that on your heart. The third thing I want to look about is found in, in verses 10 and 11. It's about uh, the proper use of gifts that we've been given. In the scripture, there are three different spots in the New Testament where this list of gifts is given. And I do not believe, I don't know if Terry does, but I don't believe this is an exhaustive list. I think it's a representative of uh, the gifts that God has given us. But we find these gifts listed in 1 Corinthians 12, uh, Romans 12, and, of course, 1 Peter chapter 4. And I just want to read uh, 10 and 11 from the text as we look at uh, the third uh, doctrine behind the imperative. Look at 10 and 11, 1 Peter. Each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the utterances of God. If anyone ministers, let him do with the ability with God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and the sovereignty forever and ever. Amen. So as we look at this third doctrine, uh, behind the parative, we see that God has given each believer a gift. When we are regenerated by the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit gives us gifts as it pleases him. And each believer who has been baptized with the Holy Spirit has been given a spiritual gift. And uh, so the first point, if you're writing these downs under under gifts, uh, point A would be each believer, believer has been given a spiritual gift. We saw that in verse 11, uh, uh, the ability which God supplies. If you're if you'll tool over to First Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, uh, we also see this same harmony of the Scripture: no chaos, no confusion. Uh, we see in, in 1 Corinthians 12, 7, uh, the scripture clearly says the manifestation of the spirit is given each one for the profit of all. So each believer has been given a spiritual gift. And then if you'll tool back one more cha- uh, book to Romans 12, uh, verse 6, is we see this listing of gifts from the apostle Paul. We see in 12, 6. Uh, it says of Romans, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. So we see each believer has been given a spiritual gift. Point two, Scripture tells us in 1 Corinthians 4.2, it is required. If you write in your Bibles, 1 Corinthians 4.2, required. It's not a, it's not a suggestion. It's an imperative command. 
It is required that stewards be found faithful. The word steward means a manager. So as a, as you have been gifted by the Holy Spirit, it is required that you be faithful as a good manager of this gift that you've been given. Uh, and that applies to anything you've been given within, uh, within faith as a believer. But uh, specifically in this text, we are required to be faithful, to be a good manager of the gift that has been given. And it tells us uh, that we are to use them. God has put each one of us believers and has given each one of us a gift for the building up of the body and for the glorification of his name. And so these gifts, supernatural that they are, are given within a body so that all of us within a, in a body have a gift that may be used to build up the whole body to bring in, uh, to bring in, uh, maturity so that we're not tossed to and fro by wrong doctrine that we're sound in the faith. And so God has given them. We divide them into spiritual, we divide them into speaking and, and maybe action gifts, but these gifts, uh, we are responsible to manage. Therefore, we are responsible to know what they are. Does anybody have any uh, thing to add to how do we know as believers what our gifts are? I'm going to uh, go to participants, and I'm going to unmute everybody. What are some ways that we can know what our gifts are so that we may be faithful managers of them? Any comments? How do we know what our gifts are? I thought I unmuted everybody, but I didn't unmute Sally. I can't hear you, dear. Can you unmute yourself? I can't hear you. I did unmute everybody, but I guess you've manually muted yourself. Can't, can't hear you. Anybody? I want to hear what you got to say. I've got you all. One in. way. Go one ahead. way might be like, one way might be where he gives you a desire for something in your okay. heart. Okay. If God gives you a desire, and, that may be evidence that that's of the spirit and that's going to be a gift. Excellent and true. What else? I think it's also... If you have that desire, you need to experiment, for the better word, um, try different things. You know, you may have more than just one desire to uh, okay. do something. Excellent. About. Excellent and very true. Anything else? Anything else? I can't hear you. Anybody else? One of the yeah. things I have found that, that your brothers and sisters are going to encourage you to come alongside you and they're going to say, Chris, you have the gift of encouragement or you have the gift of discernment or I, I see that you plainly tell forth God, God's uh, truth or uh, God has given you a wisdom and discernment. I have found that during my life that Brothers and sisters will come alongside you and encourage you in your gifting. And uh, so uh, I think that's another way. Uh, as God gifts you, he will bring about results. If God has given you a gift of evangelism, 
then God will bring to you fruit from your labor. If God has given you a gift of teaching, he will bring to you people who desire to hear you teach and be encouraged by your teaching. If you have the gift of giving, God gives you an ability to make money so that you are able to give. How do you like that? And so there are various ways that God gives evidences of the gifts he's given you through these various ways. And there are many more out there. Uh, but uh, we are responsible to know what our gifting is, and so we are to be manage them. And then la- uh, another thing is that we're going to be rewarded based upon how we use the gifts that God gives us. And we see that uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and 2 Corinthians chapter 5, that our motivation for how we use the gifts and, and how we use the talents that God's given us we are going to receive reward for this, and uh, and so that is not the primary reason why we use our gifts, but it is a nice carrot that God unashamedly tells his people he rewards faithfulness, and so uh, we understand that. So, uh, uh, so it is for God's glory. It is for the profit of all. And uh, and one thing that I want to encourage you with, I've, many times people say, well, I don't have the gift of teaching, and, and, and it don't seem like I have much ability. Don't be discouraged by that. Scripture tells us that the gifts that we think are comely or we think are unimportant, God has said they are very important. And look at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 22. I don't know how many times people have said to me, well, I don't have the ability to teach, and I couldn't do that if I had to, and I say neither can I. Uh, but, uh, the, but the response should be God has given you some gift. It may be helps. It may be mercy. It may be hospitality. It may be something that is undistinguishable or unknowable. It may just be a servant's heart. Uh, but look what scriptures say about that. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 22. Paul says, and he's dealing with this attitude, well, I'm not a gifted speaker like you are, Paul, and I'm not an apostle like you are. I don't have all the gifts like you do, Paul. But look what he says. Verse, let's just start at uh, verse 20. Indeed, there are many members, yet there's only one body, and the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the hand to the feet, I don't need you. No, members of the body which we think, notice it says we think, to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor. And our unpresentable parts have greater modesty, but our presentable parts have low lack of But God composed the body, Don't complain about your perception of what gifts God has given you, but be faithful in what God has given you and understand that the impart the gifts that you have that you may not think are that profitable in God's mind. They are very profitable. Okay. So don't be discouraged because you're not a Billy Graham or don't be discouraged because you're not Paul. Uh, there aren't many Pauls and there aren't many Billy Grahams, but there are a lot of people who behind the scenes build up the body in encouragement and giving and helps, and that's how God has determined to encourage and build up his church. Uh, any comments about the gifts? I, I could spend uh, six months on gifts, but uh, but understand they're listed in 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Peter 4, Romans 12, and it behooves you to find out what your gift is, and it behooves you to 
be faithful in using those gifts, okay? So that is the doctrine, and that's what it means to continue to commit your souls. Use the gifts that I've given you for my glory and for the building up of the body. Any comments about that? I wish I could have heard. You're unmuted now, Sally. Would you like to speak? Oh, what I was going to say is uh, when we try various things in life as a believer, we find out that our gifting is in accordance with how much it encourages other people. And so when others are blessed by what you are attempting to uh, give out as you think it, it is your gift, if they're encouraged with it, then it's sort of a, a stamp of approval by the Holy Spirit that you're doing what is blessing ministry, you know. Excellent. But, but, uh, just the opposite. If what you're doing, other people are turned off. <laughs> well, you know, maybe examine it a little bit, you know? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And that's a, that's very wise and very true. We're not being critical, but if you think yeah. you have the gift of teaching and it just, you spend 25 hours trying to put together an outline of a simple text. It may be that that's not a gifting for you right. it naturally. And it, and it blends in with, uh, uh, you know, what you said, uh, that may be evidence. So, uh, but, uh, but I know there are so many in our church that have the gift of helps and mercy and encouragement. And, uh, that is primary need of anybody of believers, uh, uh, we got enough people that speak. We need, we got people that, that come along beside and our church wouldn't be unified and show the love of Christ if we didn't have people with mercy and helps and encouragement gifts and we need them. And so we thank you for your uh, participation. Things you do that are, that are no one knows about. God knows about, knows about it and he will reward you and uh, you are part of his body and you are important. So, uh, uh, so if you uh, don't take anything from this, understand that about God's gifting. Uh, he's purposed it, and it's his grace, and uh, he's done it for his purposes. So uh, for that. Uh, the next thing I want to talk about, and uh, uh, got a few minutes, and uh, it's verse 12, First uh, Peter chapter 4. We looked at these, uh, several of these doctrines before. I'm not going to spend a lot of time with this. I'm going to... Uh, he reiterates this since it's a primary theme of the book. Uh, we'll find this in verse 12, uh, 12 uh, through 14. And it's we're going to talk about uh, suffering a bit. I want to bring up a few points that hasn't been brought up in the other verses of this book. Uh, verse 12, beloved, don't think it's strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange things happen to you, but rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may be glad with exceeding joy. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. The spirit of God and the spirit of glory rest on you. So this continued this theme that prevailed since chapter one, this primary theme of sufferings, we remembered that, the uh, context which this book is written during the sufferings of Nero and, and the many sufferings uh, that the Christians uh, partook of. 
again, he reiterates this. And, and what we're dealing with in 12 through 14 is an inner response and an attitude towards suffering. Uh, Peter is <coughs> warning the believers. He's, he's warning himself. He's warning us that, uh, that the response to trials, uh, the key to it is the attitude of the heart. And it, and it, and, and, and instead of being astonished by it, which the word strange means is we're astonished by it and we are surprised by it. Uh, Peter says instead of treating it like that in your minds that it, you think it's strange or an astonished, he says, uh, you should understand in, in, in a positive sense that trials are for God's glory and that they are in his purpose. And we should think of these trials instead of being some uh, astonishment to us. We should think it's just part of being a believer. Uh, Jesus suffered. Paul said anyone who wants to be godly will suffer persecution in this life. Second Timothy 3.12, Jesus said, I didn't come to bring peace on the earth. I came to bring a sword and I came to separate families from one another. And there's a, and there's a warfare associated with being a believer in Christ. And, and it is a narrow, difficult way. And we shouldn't be surprised if our master suffered. We should be too. So Peter is saying, don't let it throw you. Don't let it astonish you because that's going to create a negative emotion and a negative thinking and a wrong outlook. But you should be encouraged by your suffering because that suffering gives evidence that you're a believer. And that suffering identifies you with Christ. And so uh, as we look at this, uh, matter of fact, that word don't strange is, is, uh, is, uh, pronounce how he's pronounced, uh, exnizio, X-E-N-I-Z-O. Not only does it not mean don't be astonished, but it means to welcome as a guest. So as we suffer in trials, whatever they are, our attitude of our mind should we to welcome these trials as a guest. And that is unnatural. And it is, we are unable to do that because our natural inclination is to flee from trials and to not want them. But the scripture says, not only should you shouldn't be astonished by them, you should welcome them as a guest because God is working in you. And uh, we see that uh, many times in the scripture. But remember when we did the book of John. Uh, John chapter 15, we're to understand that our trials are because they hate me. And if they hated me, they're going to hate you. And if I suffered, you're going to suffer. And, and we are not greater than our masters as servants. Uh, look at John 15. Just reiterate what I just said. This is our attitude. We welcome it as a guest. And that's a work of the spirit in your heart. It's a process of maturation and sanctification within each one of us, and we're all at various levels of it. But uh, uh, God is going to preserve us, and he's going to finish his work in us, and part of that process is through trials. Look at John 15, verse 18, uh, through the following. If the world hates you, it hated me before it hated you. If you were 
uh, of the world, the world would love its own, but you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world. Therefore, the world hates you. Remember the word I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they'll persecute you. If they kept my word, they would keep you yours. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know him who sent me. So treat it as a guest, harbor it in your heart, knowing that it is for God's glory and it evidences that you are one of his. And it says, uh, the strange, the fiery trial. I talked about this a bit last week. The word is pyrosis. By word, the word we get, uh, pyromaniac, someone who loves to start a fire. So these trials are, the word literally means a painful fire. So these trials are painful and it's not literally burning like, uh, it would be Babylon in Revelation 18. But it would be uh, the pain caused by the fires and the trials are synonymous with the pain of fire. And so it is painful and it's not pleasant. But Scripture says we're to count it all joy uh, in the chastening, whatever the trials form they come in. Uh, we know that they are painful because that's how God produces fruit within us through pain and through suffering Uh uh, and then we notice uh, it's a fiery trial. Don't think it's strange. And it says it is to try you. And here's where I want to focus on. It's not maybe. You circle is in your Bible. It's going to happen. If it didn't happen, then God's not true to his word and God's not God. So it's going to happen. Okay, you're going to be trialed and you're going to go through trial. And each member, get this, if you're writing this down, each member of the body is going to be tried differently. Okay, each member of the body is going to be tried differently, and it's our reaction to the trial impacts everybody. You get that? We're all going to be tried differently, and our reaction to the trial is going to affect everybody. If I can be very personal, just to make this an application, for example, if the way that Chris treats her dad, Tom, if she abandoned him, if she dishonored him, if she was bitter and angry toward him, and whatever reason she would normally have to react emotionally to him, if she did that, that would affect all of us, right? It would. But the way she is treating him and loving him and honoring him despite of things is a affirmation that she is Christ and it encourages us, right? The way Rusty and Sheila are dealing with Kimberly's passing, their reaction affects all of us, right? The way uh, Chris and Jim react to and deal with and love and be perseverant with Fiona affects all of it. The way Carolyn deals with her liver disease and all of the health affects all of us, right? The way Russell and Sally uh, deal with their lost family members and the burden they have for their heart and the, and the perseverance they have in praying for them affects all of us, right? So we all have various trials, but the way we react to them affects all of us. So the, the teaching of this is be careful about your emotional response to trials. Welcome them as being part of God's providence. And how you react testifies to God's grace, and it affects all our brothers and sisters in Christ. Comments about that? Excellent. 
It's very important that we understand the refiner's fire. You know the song Steve Green used to do, the refiner's fire is refining me. It's taking the dross that all of us have, and it's burning it off, and it's going to finally leave a polished gemstone. Well, we still got a bunch of dross on all of us, but some of us are further along. Some of us are unrecognizable as diamonds, and some of us shine very brightly as diamonds. And I'm not saying who it is or who it isn't. It's in God's providence. But it's very important we understand uh, it's God's purpose, and that's how he's working in us uh, to create us more and conform us. As Terry's going to talk about today, it's conforming us to the image of Christ. And that's going to be part of our worship is how we react to God's work in our hearts, okay? So very important. Uh, that we understand that about the fiery, fiery trials, uh, we are literally the word, we are partakers of Christ. Uh, that means we are identified in our union with him. You know, we're unified with him in his death, burial, and resurrection, but we're also unified with him in his life. And so uh, we are in union with him in his sufferings, and in his righteous living, we are all uh, unified with him. So that what it, that's what it means. We're partakers of Christ. We're going through the same process that Christ did as a son of God, as a man, as he uh, learned obedience through the suffering, as he represented us perfectly. He was tempted in all points, like yet without sin was he. That's how he's molding us, okay? And he's shaping us. And uh, if you don't get anything, write this down. Suffering is not a threat to our spiritual life. Suffering is not a threat to our spiritual life, but it is a pledge of the reality of it. It's not a threat to our spiritual life. Don't be astonished by it. Don't think God's picking on you. Don't think God is 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 uh, is is going back on His promises of penal judgment. This isn't what this is. This is this is sanctification. We've already been declared righteous, and we are becoming more, uh, we are be- becoming holy and more righteous, uh, literally in our day-to-day walk through the suffering. And so the suffering is not a threat, but it is a pledge to the reality, and it authenticates the reality of our union, okay? And so, um, we, yes. Um, <clears throat> you know, I was just trying to figure out the flow of this contextually because it's going from spiritual gifts that we all have spiritual gifts and into suffering. And so when we're using our spiritual gifts, there's a contentedness in our heart. We have peace with God when we're doing that because when we're not and we're quenching the spirit, we don't have that. So when we do face those trials that are going to come to all of us and we're applying the gifts that God has given us in that, then it does bring glory to God. Because the only explanation is him, right? Right. Because when we try to do it in our flesh, we fail. Absolutely. That's just my thought on that. So, uh, Rusty, no one knows this about Rusty has a great gift of mercy. And because of the struggles that they're going through now, he is able to be more merciful. And 
And uh, Sheila laughs, but he does. And he uh, is very unbeknownst for his mercy. Ask Sally and Russell. But he, uh, he's a merciful guy. But, uh, but uh, that's just a, an, a, an unknown gift that I just announced to everybody. And I apologize, Rusty. I got a pick on you. I hadn't seen you in a while. But that's okay. the way God uses life and life circumstances to elevate the gifts he's given each one of us so that now he is more prepared to be merciful to others. Okay? That's just the way God works. That's his pattern. That's his. Uh, that's the way he operates. So uh, we thank him for that, and we're to rejoice. And that when it says, uh, when that word says, uh, rejoice to the extent that you're partakers. Uh, just to uh, uh, close on this thinking, that word rejoice is the attitude. The more we suffer, the more rejoice. And Jashila said that is impossible in our human nature. And that gives glory to God because nobody in this planet is capable of rejoicing. And the more they suffer, the more they rejoice because we're going to go the other way. And, and, and here's something. You don't rejoice in the suffering, but you rejoice in the fellowship with Christ and our associating with him. We're not going, boy, I'm glad I'm suffering today. I'm glad somebody passed. I'm glad I'm going through this. I'm going through that. We're not rejoicing in the suffering. We're not rejoicing in being martyrs, for, but we're rejoicing that we have a commonality with Christ, right? We're rejoicing that we are associated with him in our sufferings, and we rejoice because we know our Father and our Lord love us, and this is part of their promise to us. And it brings to us such a, a, a spirit of, of, uh, of, of camaraderie, and it just gives encourages us. And it just buoys us on it, as Terry would say, stimulates us to more faithful. As we see him working in us, we desire to work in others. And that's just part of how he works. Uh, so, uh, and so, uh, any comments about that, uh, about the suffering? We're not to think it's strange. Uh, just a great encouragement to us. Uh, I want to really spend a lot of time with verse 17. Uh, a verse that is really misunderstood. Uh, for the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of the Lord. And if it begins with us, what will be the end of those who don't obey the gospel? And if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner believe, uh, appear? Uh, there's been a lot of uh, misunderstanding on that. I'm going to open up next week with a pretty detailed understanding that this is a very important verse. And I don't want to butcher it or, or cut it short today. I have one minute. So uh, next week we'll open up with uh, what does it mean if the righteous is scarcely saved, what it doesn't mean and what it does mean, and what it means for judgment to begin at the house of the Lord. And we'll differentiate between penal judgment, which is condemnation and wrath upon sin, which we do not experience because it's already been accomplished in Christ. And then we'll talk about chastening judgment and purposeful judgment. Uh, so we'll talk about that next week. And then if you'll read chapter five, we're going to look at humility and submitting to one another uh, as we look at the last imperative and probably two or three weeks, the rest of this book. Any comments, questions? Any comments or questions? Russell, we've read your uh, your uh, recommendations, and we will be talking about them, and we're very encouraged. Uh, and uh, 
I think step one today, we're going to allow everybody to, uh, to wear, uh, take their mask off when they sit down. It will be an encouragement to many people. And we elders, we've read your, uh, uh others and your, uh, recommendations, Russell, and we'll be talking about them shortly. And we're going to try to expand our fellowship together as we can do that prudently. So appreciate your input, Russell. Thank you. And we'll uh, look at that. I'm sure quite, we'll probably do that Tuesday, huh, Dave? So uh, we'll look at that. Anybody have anything to offer? And uh, we look forward to seeing your faces without masks as you sit down in the congregation. And uh, uh, hopefully our singing will be louder and prouder, huh? So we we'll look forward to that. We'll let one thing, Don? Yes. You know, I, I don't know what, there's so many levels of suffering, but this has been a life, it's been probably 20 years of dealing with my dad. And, um, the day I got that phone call, I, I went right into my flesh like, I can't do it. I just, you know, you just know the script, you know how it's going to play out just in, in your own fleshly heart. And immediately I was just burdened to put out a prayer request, knowing that the body would pray for me to do supernaturally what I couldn't do through Christ. And I, I didn't, I was just in a panic, just in my emotional state. And I just went right to first Peter chapter one. And it was like, okay, I just like, what have I been learning? What have I been learning? What have I been learning? And I was like, okay, I have a five, five point things that I'm going to gain. This is what he's trying to tell me. And then the very next paragraph is, and you're going to suffer. And I was like, yeah, why am I thinking this is strange? And all of a sudden, and, and, and then to know that people were sending me prayers and just lifting me up, I was able to do what I was not in my own human ability able to do. And I, I just give, God, total glory for that because it was nothing in me. And um, so it, I just guess what I'm saying is the word is just so powerful to dividing the soul and marrow, you know, because it just really tore me up. And I was able to put myself away and look at him and what he did. And the very fact that it hit on the exact time you needed is just further evidence of, of his mm-hmm. divineness and appointment and, uh, we're to be very encouraged by that. And, uh, and you're going to find Chris as you go through this that his strength is going to be made perfect in your weakness and he's faithful and he means every word of it to his people. So be encouraged by that. And you're going to be encouraged by people you didn't know. And, uh, it'll be a beautiful thing. It'll be a beautiful it thing. Thank you. I, I can say that with full assurance because that's what the word says. And, uh, uh, so we're encouraged by that. Let me pray, and then uh, we'll see some of you in church. And, and for those of you who aren't there, we appreciate you guys, and uh, we really hope to see you soon as we work through this uh, horrible pandemic. Father, thank you for your word. We thank you for its effectiveness. We thank you for its, uh, its how it practical it is, that it's your truth, and that you don't uh, promise to protect us and make our lives so easy, but... Because uh, we would become complacent mm-hmm. and we would become proud and self-absorbed and we would become uh, thinking that we don't need you. We'd forget you. But in your uh, goodness that you're working all things for our, our good, it's through trials and it's purposeful. 
And so at the end of the day, we understand that it's all about you. And we, you grow more and more and we grow less and less. And as we depend upon you, you make your strength made known to us. And I rejoice in that and help us. Uh, thank you for the, the, uh, the good word we heard from Chris and we've heard from Russell and we've seen in Sheila and Rusty, just the many evidences and uh, that you're faithful and you're sovereign and we can just uh, keep on making a deposit of faithfulness to you because uh, it's eternal and uh, it is glorious. Uh, and we just praise you. Thank you for who you are. May we be satisfied in you and content in you. And we praise you and we pray that in your name. Amen. Amen.